From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Folks, welcome to the latest edition of Market Signals podcast. My name is Mark Zabicki, Chief Investment Officer at LPL Financial. Uh, joining me for this edition uh, is our Chief Technical Strategist, Adam Turnquist. Adam, how are you doing today? Hey, good morning, Mark, and thanks for having me on today. Good, good. Um, I um, we appreciate you being here, especially as we're we're closing out 2022 with our with our last edition of the Market Signals podcast. Today is Tuesday, December 20th. We will not be doing a Market Signals podcast next week, and we'll resume this podcast the first week of January. So the la- this will be the last Market Signals podcast for the year. Um, can't think of a better guy to do it with than Mr. Adam Turnquist. So um, with that said, let's cover the disclaimer issues and then get right into uh, the meat and potatoes of what we're here to do. And that's just kind of talk a little bit about what's going on in capital markets and economics as we generally do. Last week is, is almost has been a pattern for the last several months, I mean, we can call it, is that um, the market gets a little bit excited then um, and Jay Powell or some one of his uh, other board members throws a little bit of cold water on on things. And that's exactly what happened last week where uh, the Fed raises its benchmark rate by 50 basis points, which was widely expected. Uh, and then um, Jay Powell you know, proceeded to um, – Talked down the market a little bit by indicating the Fed was going to be, remain rather strict with policy, uh, and it, it was going to stay str- rather strict until inflation began began to uh, decelerate. You know, kind of more materially, although it has been decelerating actually rather materially, at least the way we think about it. So, a uh, couple things here. Um, one, you've you've always got to pay attention to. Uh, Federal Reserve board members, when they talk about you know uh, future policy or in, give some indications of what that policy may look like, uh, but what, what you also may be seeing here is what we're calling perhaps a masterclass in in jawboning by uh, by Jay Powell. Um, and again, we believe inflation is already falling um, rather dramatically, and and our forecast is that that will likely continue throughout the the last couple weeks of 2022 and then on into 2023. Um, uh, what all, what caught people perhaps a little bit off guard as well, maybe not off guard, but just was another uh, bullet point or bullet points that, that caused, you know, uh, some equity market and risky asset price consternation last week was the economic data in the U S was, was pretty weak across the board. Um, and given that plus the jawboning by Jay Powell, um, people just kind of, um, you know, retrenched a little bit from the risk that they were taking in some of their portfolios. And then obviously, um, we've gotten a China COVID outbreak, um, which has taken the wind out of some equity sales in in China. But you know, that's offset by what continues to be a weakening dollar. So that's effectively what happened last week in general terms. Um, you can see by some of this, this data on this table, uh, markets were rather weak, specifically in in the um, in the U.S. Um, although emerging markets were also notably weak as well. Um, most of the weakness across 
U.S. equity sectors were were in the um, the uh, the growth areas of the market. Again, no surprise. Some relative strength in in Europe versus the U.S. It was is is notable, but I, I don't know that that's sustainable as far as we think about it. We're going to touch on that, Adam. I know. Um, so, just talk a little bit about um, some of that that variance that you're seeing between equity markets in the U.S. and 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 other equity markets. Just tease it a little bit for some of the right. charts that you're going to be showing. Yeah, I think one of the the big story there is really related to China and this reopening theme that's starting to play out with a lot of uncertainty. But I think the the equity investors in in China are certainly getting ahead of it and uh, hoping hoping that it continues. When you look at some of the COVID stats, I'm not sure if that aligns um, with a full on sustainable breakout. So when we look at it on a, on a technical level. There's, you know, a pretty good bounce. You know, we're calling it kind of a trade, a trader's market when you see how oversold things were in China and, and really in emerging markets in general. And you've had this shorter term surge in equity prices, but a lot of those are not sustainable from our technical view. And we'll look at that and compare it to U.S. markets as we go through today's presentation. Okay. Um, good stuff. And then um, as we move on to the bond market, you know, things are changing over the last couple of days a little bit. We'll, we'll and, and Adam will get into that. But, you know, bond market has been looking like the bond market more of late, um, at least cleaning itself up over the last several weeks. That did continue um, last week as the 10-year Treasury was largely flirting with, you know, 3, 3.5%. Um, commodity markets were pressured, you know, largely by um, what's kind of going on in in, in China. So um, it's probably going to take some sustainable rebound in you know China economies and equity markets for the commodity markets to get, you know more of a bid a little bit. So we've been you know not as constructive on commodity markets of late, largely because of that very reason. Um, Looking at uh, economic data this week out of the U.S., uh, consumer confidence, we're going to get a GDP number for Q3 that's probably going to firm up um, our, our generally positive view in, in uh, Q3 economic conditions. Uh, and then a PCE deflator number later in the week on Friday that is probably going to confirm for us that inflation continues to uh, to, to ebb lower um, and perhaps actually be less than what the Fed uh, had forecasted, uh, you know, on its own. So there's that. Um, looking elsewhere outside the U.S., um, generally weaker numbers uh, in in Germany um, and across like the business climate, business confidence. Effectively, we are going to get U.K. GDP data. And then, you know, we've got a little bit of uh, Bank of Japan policy uh, activity uh, overnight. And, and uh, you know, Adam, I know you're going to touch on that just a little bit. And then finally, uh, later this week, we are going to get you know, CPI data out of Japan, which um, uh, is, is running probably a little bit hotter than uh, they would like to see it just a little bit. So it's, so maybe a little bit of a change of message from the Bank of Japan. Um, key issues upcoming this week, um, 
a, a lot of what we just talked about in terms of economic data and and we're also going to get into um, you know where we are in terms of the 10-year treasury yield and kind of market yields in general which are a little bit of at a crossroads and maybe we're getting a, a resolution on that today um, and then that leads us Adam to um, your message in this market signals podcast which is you know some of the technical uh, you know equity weakness that we've seen I know you're paying close attention to so I certainly want want you to give the viewers your 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 take on that. Um, and then, you know, maybe maybe almost in summary basis, you tell us if if Santa Claus is on the way or if he is not going to show in 2022. So so let us know what you think. Yeah, let's take a look at the just the broader market in the S&P 500. And since it is the last podcast of the year, I'll just kind of walk through the, the very quick storyline of of the equity markets in the U.S. And the one liner, it's really been a downhill ride for U.S. equity markets throughout the year. If you think about where we started, Mark, you know we started the year off at a record high. I know valuations were pretty high at that at that point in time. Along with really optimism, is kind of the opposite of where we're at right now. Um, so something to keep in mind in terms of where sentiment is and where it can go. Um, and basically, what we've seen play out this year, you know, this downtrend that's developed off those January highs. There's been a lot of 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 data to absorb. We'll call it. You know, we've had four and a half percent of of Fed rate hikes this year, which is unprecedented, not to mention even the global tightening that's happened. That's also unprecedented. Um, a, a, a war in Ukraine that's played out and just the, the inflation environment and interest rate environment. So here we are coming into year end. I think we're down right around 20%. You know, it's basically, you know, still below this downtrend. We did get a brief retest. You know, we've rallied off these October lows. That was actually on a, a CPI print that came in above expectations, but I think um, the market took it as possibly, you know, the, the peak in inflation. And we've rallied 14% off those lows. We got right back to that 200-day moving average that everybody's looking at, and then we had a failed breakout above the 200-day. And, you know, when you are in a bear market in below uh, a downtrend, failed breakouts are, are fairly common, at least on the bullish side. And that's what's playing out just over the last you know, several sessions. So we've seen a pretty big pullback right now, starting to see some of that short-term technical damage develop. And what I mean by shorter-term technical damage is just a lot of sectors are breaking below, you know, their 20-day moving averages. We're starting to see shorter-term, you know, four-week lows get put in within the market, but we're not seeing oversold conditions develop. And I think that's notable. If you look at momentum, the momentum indicator with RSI, you have not got back to this kind of 30 or less reading. That's what we consider technically oversold. So we're not there yet. And we're not seeing a wide, you know, widespread oversold conditions within the S&P 500. The bottom panel that I in this chart that I brought with today shows the percentage of S&P 500 stocks that are oversold based on RSI. Right now, you're, you know, single digits, maybe two to three percent. Typically, when you get an oversold market, that number goes to call it at least 20, um, sometimes, you know, 30, 35 percent. So I look at that in two different ways. One, there's potentially scope for more downside and momentum or two, we're starting to see a divergence. So less stocks getting oversold on this pullback, you know, with with um, the only time will tell how that plays out. But we'll be watching those numbers carefully um, in terms of. 
uh, levels that we're watching closely. Um, we still have basically um, resistance right overhead at, <clears throat> excuse me, at 38.67. And then if we get above that on the S&P 500, the key level there is going to be 3,900. There's been uh, a lot of trading activity around 3,900 throughout the year. So you think of supply and demand and where how support and resistance work. That's a key level to watch. Um, it'd be great, I think, if we can get above that level um, to close out the week. And then, of course, for support levels that we're watching, um, 37.90, that goes back to the July lows. And then one of the key ones um, to, to watch is going to be the June lows. That's 36.67 on the S&P 500. And I did show on the, on the following chart just a, a, look, a closer look at um, how many stocks in the S&P 500 are holding up above their, their June lows. And I think of that June low level as kind of the, the gatekeeper. And as you know, we get closer to that level or break it, that's kind of the gatekeeper if we're going to retest the October lows. And when you look at the entire S&P 500, you're still at you know 71% of the S&P is holding up above those key June lows. So I think that's a, a pretty positive sign. And that's on a longer term basis um, in terms of looking at the overall breadth. Um, as I noted earlier, there's a lot of short-term technical damage, but we haven't seen a lot of stocks start breaking those key support levels. So we'll be watching this really carefully. And then when you just look at it, uh, Mark, on a on the sector level, you know you have the technology sector at 63% of the stocks are above their June lows, and, and you know that's that's about a quarter of the S&P 500 in terms of a weighting basis. And and healthcare is the second largest sector. You have 80% of the healthcare stocks holding up above those June lows. So a few positive signs that we're seeing um, in terms of some of the longer term breadth metrics that, that we're looking at. So so just so I'm clear um, that what, you, what you're saying as you look into internals is that even though the S&P broadly is kind of you, you know, um, in a little bit of selling pressure here, um, it's too early to call as to whether that that selling pressure is going to be you know elongated is that a fair statement yeah absolutely I, I don't think there's enough technical evidence to to throw in the towel on this potentially being a bottom um as we're you know a potential bottom developing and you know maybe those october lows you know i still think there's enough evidence to to consider those as a candidate for a bear market low you know we've been pretty spoiled if you think of the last two recoveries they've been really this v-shaped recovery and that's been really a, a Fed story when that you did see, well, 2020 was Fed and, and, and fiscal changes with the pandemic. But even in 2018, we did see a, a shift in Fed policy. And that was basically a, a V-shaped recovery. When we look at this bottom, I don't, we're, we're not seeing a V-shaped recovery. I think it's just going to be a little bit elongated as we wait for you know, a potential Fed pivot pause. I don't know, whatever you want to call it, Mark. But I, I think that's going to be a, a key driver to climb out of this bottom. Yeah, I mean, we, we've we've undergone a lot of technical damage, obviously, a lot of sentiment damage, um, and people are just still trying to get their arms around what the Federal Reserve is exactly going to do, and and we probably won't get that answer until early 2023. But there, there, it's it's although we're cautiously constructive in terms of our asset allocation work because we do think the fall in inflation and an eventual Fed pivot pause, whatever you want to call it, is going to be beneficial for risky assets. 
we are, we're clear that it's, it's going to be messy getting there. Right. And, and, and we're actually, we're actually seeing that if that's fair, but let, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, calendar benefits that may be upon us. And, and uh, I'm, I'm going to lean on you, um, Adam, to tell us whether Santa Claus is showing <laughs> up or not. Uh, my my son, who's nine months, certainly is hoping for Santa Claus to show up and maybe some new Mickey presents. But uh, we'll see. I keep telling him he's coming if he if he behaves, and, and he's been pretty good. So um, all indications are are that he's coming. And when you look at uh, just some of the seasonality, I know when whenever December kicks off, there's a lot of data that goes out and outlining how great of a month December is historically. If you just look back um, since 1950, I think the average return is right around one and a half percent. And it's one of the strongest months for the S&P 500. Uh, when you look at it this year, not the case. I think we're down um, six, over six percent, we'll call it right now. We started off with a, a five day losing streak. So that seasonality trend is not playing out. I know some of the, the tightening that you mentioned earlier on the call, Mark, that's really kind of thrown some cold water on the seasonality um, but when you do dissect December in terms of how, how it usually plays out, it is a second half story. I think there's eight trading days left. So time is, is of, uh, not really on our side here. Um, but when you look at it, most of the gains in December are a back half story. I think um, right around, depending on the scenario, um, call it right around 2% um, off the, off the mid, um, midpoint from December to year end. So um, a, a still hope for for Santa Claus to come. Um, and when we talk about the the Santa Claus rally, we're using the Yale Hirsch Stock Traders Almanac definition, um, which is the last five trading days of the year plus the the first two trading days of the year. And when you look at the returns historically, um, and this goes again back to 1950, the average return just for those seven days is 1.3 percent. So a pretty good, especially on an annualized basis, a pretty good return. Um, positivity rates there are pretty impressive as well. I think it's right around 80% of the time, that little that seven-day window, um, you do trade higher. So something to watch as we, we go into the holiday season. Um, and, and again, another a positive sign amid this <laughs> relative uh, negative sentiment that we're seeing. And then just one other thing I wanted to note on seasonality um, and a theme that we've outlined before is when you look at down years, which I think it's all safe to say we're gonna have a pretty significant down year on the S&P 500. If you just peek around the corner into next year, you know, following a down year, the average return for the S&P 500 is um, around 15%, and you finish higher 84% of the time. So you know, you can take all of the headlines out and look at just the data. And I think the data is on our side here as we go into 2023, at least from a historical perspective. Of course, that, that comes with the disclaimer of, you know, history may not repeat. But as we like to say in the technical world, it may rhyme. So I think there's some positive seasonal data that we can apply to, you know, 2023. And, and that's something we lean on, not not heavily as an asset allocation committee. You know, again, we think the course is going to be um, driven by, you know, what happens with Fed policy, what happens with inflation, how how um, how you know, kind of deep is the the likely recession that we could see in in 2023 which we think is going to be mild so 
Um, while you know those data points are interesting and, and they're certainly additive to the overall view, it, it really comes down to you know some on the ground you know conditions that we're we'll be closely watching, Adam, and I know and I know you will. Um, we we got a little um, activity from the Bank of Japan last night. I want to leave that up to you to kind of just touch on that as it relates to to the uh, to the dollar yen cross. Yeah, so I was looking at this last night and putting together charts, and then I was looking at the futures market, and things were starting to be, you know, in the U.S. green. And then I looked about 20 minutes later, and all of a sudden there was a lot of red on the screen, <laughs> and and part of that was really the Bank of Japan coming out with a big surprise in terms of their monetary policy. They actually revised or adjusted their yield curve control program, so they they basically had a 0.2 for 0.25 percent limit on where they would buy their 10-year Japanese government bond. They lifted that, surprisingly, to 0.5%. So not a, not a major notional move, but the message was, was really an off-guard. It caught the market off-guard. I don't think any economist across Bloomberg survey data had predicted a change in that policy rate, um, at least at this meeting. So it was a big shocker to the market. And we're seeing that play out on the dollar-yen. Um, this is uh, a chart of the currency pair here. It's had a, you know, this this move's been kind of um, in in motion, I think, for a while. Um, when you just look at this overall rally in the yen, um, or dollar versus the yen, excuse me, it's really been parabolic. And what I mean by that is just the rate of change has been, you know, what I would consider, un, you know, not sustainable by any means. The problem with a parabolic rally is you don't know when it ends. But when it does end, it usually is is not a it's it's a crash, and that's what we're seeing out seeing play out with the dollar yen. It did take out its 200-day moving average um, overnight. That's the first time it's traded below the 200-day moving average. Um, I think on almost two years, and now we're seeing it retest kind of this 133 level. That would be a key level to watch. Um, if we break below that, which I think we we likely will, um, we can get back down. You know, sub sub 130. You know, kind of in this 127 camp. Um, so something to watch on the dollar yen. I think you know the macro implications are interesting, um, just given that the the Bank of Japan was kind of the last major central bank to keep policy at ultra low rates. So there was some anchoring to that. Um, you know where where Japanese government bond yields were, and and now we're seeing a shift away from that. I wouldn't call it you know um, an end to their yield curve control program, which they've noted, but I think it is a, a, a major policy shift um, and kind of the last stakeholder in that zero, you know, or ultra low rate camp. So um, the implications when you apply that to the U.S. markets or U.S. treasuries um, is that, you know, there's potentially there's the relative value of a 10-year of yield loses some appeal, you know, when they, it's competing assets, especially with safe haven, you know, the, the treasury and the the Japanese government bonds are, you know, considered some of the safest assets. So it does lose some appeal. And we've seen 10-year treasuries bounce um, pretty significantly overnight. We brought that chart as well. Um, when you look at what's happened on the 10-year, um, oh, I think, yeah, sorry, I skipped the slide, but we go to seen, the 10-year. Yeah, uh, we've seen the the 10-year bounce, um, a, a pretty good move overnight, not as much as some of the other global bond markets, but um, that's that's one of the the implications with that policy move in, from the Bank of Japan is it, it is playing out on U.S. 
uh, in U.S. markets here with the 10-year. You know, technically, when you look at what's happened, um, we've seen a, a pretty big pullback, just over 90 basis points over about a 30-day period on the 10-year. And now, you know, we're seeing oversold conditions develop right into a key area of support. So I don't think it's a huge surprise that we're seeing a bounce off that support level. You know, the catalyst, you can call it last week's, you know, part of it's the, the hawkish, relatively hawkish surprise from the ECB and the Fed. And now you have the Bank of Japan kind of joining that party. But I don't think, um, you know, that we're going to see a, a move back to the new highs. That's the most important message here. I think the, the highs are likely in. Um, you know, we'll see a little bit of a relief rally in treasury yields. Uh, I think it'll probably go up to right around that that 50 day moving average at 383, at least on a short term basis. But again, yeah. um, I don't I don't think we're going to get back to the old highs. I think we'll probably consolidate a little bit around 350 as we have over the last several sessions. Yeah, I, I think you made a good, good point, Adam. I think if we move 90 basis points down in the 10 year treasury to 350, which was going to be resistance anyway, um, you know, you, you, it's, it's no surprise you're seeing some, some bounce um, off, off of that. Um, so, so a, more work to do in, in, in the, in the treasury market. Again, we, we believe that, you know, Based on you know a Fed pivot, Fed pause, you know inflation coming under more control in 2023. Um, agreed on your on your point that you raised, and we we've likely seen the highs in the 10-year Treasury yield uh, put in already. And the and the and the question now is 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 kind of how low do they go? Um, probably not a whole lot lower as our as our base case view for 2023, but um, you know it, it's I think. In, investors will likely be able to put to rest the concept that we're going to get to, you know, kind of four and a half, five percent on the ten-year Treasury yield because we're just—it's just not in the cards, at least in the way we think about it. Let's go to—I um, want want to cover the the EFA, if you <clears throat> would, just kind of a general a bow on, you know, what we think about U.S. markets relative to other developed markets and and what you're seeing in. In those developed markets, and and what the what the likely trend is going forward. Yeah, so we've seen a lot of improvements within developed markets, and we're looking at the MSCI EFA index um, here with with this chart. And you know, it, it's had a it's outperforming off the October lows. So we've seen a really big bounce. And in terms of the technical progress that we're watching, you know, the EFA index has reversed a declining price channel. It's actually back above the 200-day moving average. And now we're seeing it kind of struggle with resistance off the August highs. And when we look at it on a ratio chart, especially it's you know a, a key component of our decision-making when we're talking about allocations, it's relative. And when you look at this long-term downtrend, um, this is the, the EFA index versus the S&P. So when it's moving higher, EFA is outperforming. When it's moving lower, the S&P is outperforming. We're starting to see early stages of a downtrend reversal with the EFA index over the S&P. Um, I think you have to be cautious here before you start making al allocation decisions because you have not made a new high um, in, in terms of this ratio chart breaking out from a bottom. So, you know, we're starting to see signs of a downtrend get reversed. But again, it, you could be bottoming out or this could take several months. We don't really know. But until you see evidence of a confirmed breakout of a new trend, a new uptrend developing, 
I think we stick with the S&P 500. And I know, Mark, you could talk about the fundamental side of, of U.S. markets versus developed. Um, it's, it's a pretty big contrast overall, I think. <laughs> Well, it, no, it's a, it's 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 you know not surprising often that you know the technical setup you know kind of um, rhymes with the fundamental setup. You know, so, in the fundamental setup, really is consistent with your technical view and our view as an asset allocation committee in general is that we, we'll we're waiting on um, you know more more positive signs technically before we get involved as asset allocators. We're still overweight. The U.S. relative to the rest of the world, and there's good reason for that. In terms of the EFA, um, one of those reasons, um, well, we, we just we just kind of w- was was birthed last night from the Bank of Japan, and then the other reason is is largely the uncertainty around energy supply in in Europe, um, and and also just kind of the the inflation story in in Europe. Clearly, they they have a a, a tougher inflation road to hoe than than the U.S. has got now. We expect that to eventually roll over and things get um, a little bit better from an inflation perspective, but that has not yet played out. Couple that with the supply issue in energy, and it makes it makes it a tough call to over allocate to EFA. Um, you know, given the the lack of you know kind of formal technical development that you highlighted, and and just the the hurdles that we need to cross fundamentally uh, in in Europe over the winter months. So, um, I think I think Adam, that's going to do it for us. What do you think? I, I think that's I think we've we've said a lot today, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think we're running short on time, probably as well. So, yeah. Um, well, and and thank you, Adam, for joining us. I, I couldn't think of a better individual to f- close out the year with than Adam Turnquist, um, our chief technical strategist. Much appreciated. Thank you uh, for joining us again. We will pause in the Market Signals uh, podcast. There'll be no addition next week as we all enjoy our holidays, and we will resume uh, on the week of January 2nd. So um, stick with us until then. Thanks for, thanks for watching. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate 
entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.